hear me now? Um, kind of. Not, Not really. really. Is there no Wi-Fi in Arizona? Welcome to episode 11 of the Legends Podcast. I am one half of the Legends Podcast, Ari Levy, here with my co-host, Sam Mannheimer. And uh, we got a phenomenal show for you guys today. We got Jose Furman on, who is not certified to give you financial advice, but he knows what he's talking about. And we did an interview review with him about a week ago before all this Robinhood stuff popped off. And he gives some really good tidbits on investment strategy, especially in regards to options trading, which is more relevant than ever right now. And we are also not certified to give financial advice, but I also think we know what we're talking about, but we just have to give that disclaimer. So, you know, I don't want to get sued, but I also want to like give you guys some of my stock picks. Yeah. In no way, shape or form is the Legends podcast accredited to give advice. So don't sue us. We don't have any sort of legal counsel aside from a few friends of ours who have gone to law school. So if you guys send us any sort of- We will represent ourselves and we will put on a show in the courtroom. I'm just going to tear up any documents that get sent to me. I don't even open my mail. It just goes directly- I I don't think we, we, no, we put it out there that we're not credited or licensed. And I don't think we get sued now because people know that. And if you- buy Norwegian cruise lines and it goes to zero. Like, I'm sorry, I wasn't credited. I told you. But that won't happen because stocks never no. go down. They only go up. Stocks only go up. That's how that, the market works. never sell. That's my strategy. But we'll get into our strategy later. Um, real great show for you guys today with Jose. Again, we recorded that about a week, week and a half ago before everything popped off with GameStop and Robinhood. So we're going to talk about that now. It's one of the crazier things I've ever seen in the market, Sam. Definitely a once in a lifetime event. I mean, there's really no precedent for something like this where a bunch of small individual investors basically collude isn't the right word, but decide to take a certain position in a company in this way and then just shoot the stock price up. If you ever watch Wolf of Wall Street, what they do when they launch Steve Madden, that's illegal because they're doing stuff under the table to drive up shares of stock. But what Wall Street Bets did and Reddit did is not illegal because it was all out in the open and anybody could see it. They just happen to all have the same idea. It's really interesting. The tables turned on Wall Street. It, It basically is just an army of the common man on Reddit that was like, we're all going to buy GameStop and drive it up. And you have Melvin Capital out there, big, big hedge fund that was like, nope, we're shorting GameStop. And they got fucked. They basically are bankrupt now, if I'm correct. Uh, They got bailed out. They got bailed out, but they went bankrupt. You know, it's kind of cool. Uh, The common man took it to Wall Street. And I will also say I missed out pretty much on the entire fiasco. I was in Arizona for a week and a half. And by the time GameStop started to like really pop off, like throughout the week, it had kind of been getting, uh, you know, some more traction going up. But I was like, oh, this isn't going to last. And then I headed to Zion Park in Utah on Thursday, which is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. If you ever have an opportunity to go there, I highly recommend it. It's just beautiful canyons really packed in the summer and it's not as packed in the winter but the winter there is very mild at least coming from chicago like you're looking at like 40 degree days and you get some snow it's like you get the snow caps on the mountains which is just pretty gorgeous but for the most part the canyon itself wasn't that snowy so i was there and i didn't have cell service and i missed when robin hood halted trading i did see Dave Portnoy's rant in the morning when I watched his Twitter live stream while I was eating a Jimmy Dean sausage in the Holiday Inn in Springdale, Utah. So I saw that, but I kind of missed out on everything. So Sam, would you want to explain to everyone kind of what what exactly went down? So again, not a financial expert here, but we're not getting sued. We're not getting sued. Just I just read a lot of the Wall Street Journal and Reddit. Basically, what happened was all of these hedge funds had extremely short positions on GameStop. People on Reddit saw that, decided to buy a lot of GameStop, force the price upward. The hedge funds, in order to cover their short positions, bought more of the stock to to cover, and that forced the price up even higher. So I literally have a tinfoil hat on right now. The listeners can't see that, but just trust that this is happening. I was very perturbed by some of the 
potential conflicts of interest that were going on here. So first things first, Robinhood is a free trading platform. And the way that they make their money is through something known as order flow payments from market maker companies. So Citadel Capital, for instance, is the market maker that Robinhood uses. Citadel pays Robinhood hundreds of millions of dollars for Robinhood's users' trades so that then they can scrape off a little bit of incremental money on every given trade, like a penny or something like that, but it adds up. But also they can use that information about what retail investors to do to make their own positions. So Citadel Capital owner, Ken Griffin, was one of the investors in Melvin Capital to bail them out. And just thinking through the timeline here of what happened, Melvin Capital closed out its short position, I think, on Tuesday. And then Robinhood halted trading on GameStop on Thursday. So not necessarily conflict of interest at that point. But with the tinfoil hat being on, it just reeks of potential conflict of interests where the firms that are paying the trading platforms are ones that are benefiting from certain positions being taken within the market. And then the trading platform like a Robinhood can then halt trading, which directly impacts the stock price. It's just a very shady thing that happened. And Dave Portnoy, Ari's boy, did go on a rant about it. But what's also super interesting is you see politicians varying from AOC to Ted Cruz talking about how much of an issue this potentially is. And it, I mean, we can we can get into a deep, deep discussion about the role of the market, but at a minimum, there are certain practices that take place that definitely aren't benefiting the average person and are benefiting very, very rich people. And this is kind of an example of that. And to Ari's point, it's very refreshing to see the average man get a get a win in this column when normally, despite whatever gains individuals might get, hedge funds and one percenters are, are taking home far, far more. Yeah. And I know you mentioned, you know, the political spectrum. It seems like right now, for the first time in a while, we have a very bipartisan issue where it seems like people from the far right and the far left are coming to agreement that something needs to be done about this. So that's good to see. Um, I can't say I always agree with a lot of the stuff she says. AOC. Um, yeah, well, I was going to say AOC did have a tweet. says, got to admit, it's really something to see Wall Streeters with a long history of treating our economy as a casino complain about a message board of posters also treating the market like a casino. And so I use Robinhood and I, I really like it. And as I said earlier, I missed out on the whole fiasco. I wasn't trading GameStop. I wasn't trading AMC or Nokia. I'm a, I'm a buy and never sell type of guy. So I, you know, I use it to invest in, and I do think it's a really good platform. Um, it works well. It, it, it simplifies things. So it, it's a shame to see it go that way. And it will be interesting to see what happens in the long run once there's like a full investigation launched into who is responsible for what. And I'm sure Robinhood is going to get hit with a bunch of lawsuits. Mm -hmm. um, what, what could this mean for the company in the long term? But it's also a shame because the Robinhood is supposed to be like the millennial trading app. It's supposed to be like for the common man because you don't pay any commissions you basically let them sell your information, which is in the user agreement, which is how they make their money. But you don't have to pay to use it at all. You just have to pay pay for your trades and your investments. But it, it is it is sad to see that they did they did kind of, at least from what we see now that they they did cave into Wall Street. Yeah, and and Robinhood's defense of what happened was that they halted trading of super volatile stocks in order to ensure that they had enough money to kind of cover any sort of downturn. There's, I don't know if this is an FDIC thing, but there are regulations put in place for these types of platforms that they have a minimum amount of money on hand at any given point. So Robinhood did get an influx of cash in order to cover that. So it's it's not really outside the question that that really was the reason why they stopped trading. But going back to my earlier point, when you have somebody paying you hundreds of millions of dollars who also has hedge funds that potentially could be losing money due to this, it's nefarious. It, it's at least, uh, it's a bad optic at, at best. And at worst, it's it's much worse than that. But yeah, I mean, the thing with Robinhood is there are a lot of other platforms now that offer commission-free trading. So it's not as differentiated as it once was. So yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see if people stick by them. But they definitely hurt individual investors by halting trading. I mean, if you bought right before they halted, 
you got screwed because you bought it a high point and then all of a sudden the stock price goes down because they literally were not allowing people to purchase anymore. It's sketchy. It is sketchy for sure. So going back to what you said earlier about having they, them having to have a certain amount of cash, uh, that just goes back to an analogy we made before we started recording that I just think is like kind of cool and want to put out there. Basically, like in a casino, the casino has to have the same amount of cash as they do chips on the floor that night. So that's kind of like one way of looking at it. And we don't know all the information that happened with Robinhood yet. So that's like something that's like, and again, like a lot of people are really like putting pressure on Robinhood right now, as they should. Uh, Vlad Tedem, who CEO may as well be Ghislaine Maxwell. They, they look the same. You know, he's getting a lot of heat. You know, Dave Portnoy said he's going to chase him till the ends of the earth and make sure he ends up in jail. You have politicians barely down on him. We don't know all the facts yet. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, it's really not a good look. No. I was texting with a friend and he told me that he made 850 Which grand off Mark. He said that he made 850 grand off of GameStop. And I, I believed it for a second. It was like it was that crazy of a week where that was not outside of the realm of possibility. I did some back of the envelope calculations and it would have needed to either have gotten in a long time ago in order to go up that much or put a ton of money into GameStop, which I didn't think he did, or take out options. And it turns out he was joking. But the fact that I had to think through it for like 10 minutes is like, all right, like he's up 850 grand. Like, how does that happen? I had to think about it. What a week that that's even a possibility. You know, if Mark told me he went up 850 grand, I wouldn't believe him. If he told me he went down 100 at 850 grand, it'd be much more believable. <laughs> his Anyways, moving on, I wanted to give a stock pick that I think, not going to say it's your next GameStop, but I think you have an opportunity to uh, possibly triple your money. And a lot of my friends know I've been talking it up, and I'm just going to put it out there because I want it on record when it hits. Norwegian Cruise Lines, baby. All right. As I said, though, I'm not certified to give financial advice, but I'm going to give my sales pitch and just hear me out. Pre-pandemic, it was trading at $60. Pandemic hit, obviously cruises have to halt. They had 18 months of liquidity, meaning they have 18 months of cash that they could burn through. Of the major cruise lines, including Royal Caribbean, Carnival, I think Alaska, they're the smallest and they have the smallest fleet, which means they're burning the least amount of cash. They're allowing bookings right now to raise capital. So you could, you could go check out their website and you could book any cruise. You know, if it's set for August, you could book your cruise in August. And if it doesn't sell, you get a credit that basically never expires. I think cruises will probably might be able to sail by the end of the year. And you might need a vaccine to get on, but their bookings are filling up. And if it was at 60 pre-pandemic, I think... That's a stock that can move very quickly on news of cruises are allowed to sail now. As soon as you see that headline, like I think it could go up 10 or 15% in one day, like, some, like something crazy like that. But it is a really well-managed company. I think Jack Del Rio is their CEO or Frank Del Rio. I don't know. I know one of them was a coach of the Jaguars for a while and then yeah. one's the CEO. I, I know. I, one of the two is that who is a coach? Is it Jack Del Rio? All right. So Frank Del Rio is the CEO. He does a good job. Kramer loves him. I love Kramer. Uh, my Edward Jones guy has a position in it. I have a position in it. So if you want to ride with me, let's ride Norwegian Cruise Lines. I'm, I'm propping it up. I got another stock for you, Ari. All right. It's called Dollar Sign TLP, the Legends Podcast. Yes. Very, very low overhead. The company's financial outlays are, are pretty minimal. It's just a, maybe $10 or $15 a month for some platforms that they, they need for their uh, operations, two incredibly bright and intelligent and forward-thinking board members right now. They, they don't have one CEO. It's a little bit of a co-CEO situation, but these kids are, are whiz kids. Uh, I, I think this stock can literally only go up considering it's it's not trading as of yet, but that IPO is going to be fat. You're going to want to be on that wave. Yeah. Buying a share of the Legends podcast is buying a share of our brains. We should we should issue shares. I yeah, I'm Cash down. App us, Venmo us. We'll just just send us money, and then we'll figure out how many shares you'll get. It'll depend on how much money we get. But, all right, we will put together an IPO, and we will issue we will issue stock, and then you could say you own part of the Legends podcast. We're taking it to the moon. 
We're, we're literally taking it to the moon. Another thing about my investment strategy, buy, never sell, never, ever sell. You know how rich people get rich is they buy things and they never sell them. So never sell. I like that. Yeah. And buy the dip, buy the dip. Do you mean Copenhagen? Do you like long cut? What kind of dip do you like? Dude, I'm going to be honest. I'm not, I never really got into dip. I, I, like, I obviously tried it when I was like 16 and then a couple of times in college, but I always got super dizzy and, uh, Felt like I was going to throw up, so I, I was never much of a dip guy. You just admitted to a crime here. 16 years old, doing dip? Oh, yeah, sorry. Our legal is through the roof <laughs> right now. Yeah, I mean, all the kids were doing it. I was just trying to fit in a new chair high school, so like I, I threw a lip in, and it didn't, I just didn't like it. First time I did dip, I threw up, and then I pretty much never do it ever. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan. But buy the dip. It's Yeah, buy the dip. Don't buy the dip. And then just hold on to it. Correct. I it's such it's such a bad habit to have too. Yeah. I have a friend who shall remain nameless, who went to a school that shall remain nameless, and their entire pledge ship and their fraternity who also remain nameless was pretty much centered around dip. Like every lineup, they had to throw in a lot, like a like a horseshoe. That's pretty cool. I honestly, yeah. But then they were all addicted to dip after. But that's also cool. Yeah, if you like play baseball or hockey. <laughs> well, we're going to drive a Ford F-150. <laughs> we're really excited for this show. Take some notes, especially when it comes to the options options trading. We do some stock picks. Norwegian's going to the moon. That's my pick. But Jose gives some of his picks. Very, very informative. So without further ado, I would love to give it up for Mr. Jose Furman. All right, we now welcome on former president of Alpha Epsilon Pi fraternity, current CEO of Trendseeker, Jose Furman. Jose, welcome to the Legends Podcast. Hey, guys, super excited to be here. Love what you're doing and uh, excited to get into things. Yeah, really appreciate you joining the program. We've been following your ventures and I guess career progression, but it's been really fun being able to kind of see where you've gone and what you're doing now. So, I guess for the listeners who may not be as familiar with you, do you mind giving just a quick rundown on who you are and what you do and kind of what your side hustle looks like these days? Yeah, sure. Sure, Sam. I'll I'll do that. So I'm originally from Miami, Florida. I thought I was going to be a pro soccer player. So I was pursuing that growing up since I was a little kid. That's what I thought I was going to do. I was dead set on it. So I ended up going to college and playing D2 soccer in Hawaii for, for a semester. And then just quickly realize, like, what am I doing with my life? Or, like, I'm not going to be a pro soccer player. So I thought to myself, you know, where can I go to school that can give me the best education, right, to set myself up for the future, right? So I, I literally did a, a business school, you know, ranking on Google search. And IU was like 13 at the time. I saw that it was it was relatively easy to get into the IU system, but then difficult to get into the Kelly School of Business. So I was like, all right, like I'm just going to go and I'm just going to work my butt off and just get in. And there's just there's no way I'm going to fail because I'm so determined. You guys know the rest. I mean, I, I ended up going to the business school. I became the president of AU Pi. I ended up getting some really cool internships during my time at IU. I think a lot of that was also because I was the president of AU Pi that helped. And then after school, I got a job offer to come to Atlanta. And I've been here ever since working at a company called FW Cook, an executive compensation consulting firm. So that's kind of like my nine to five, if you will. And then I have a few kind of side hustles or ventures that I also work on. So there's a there's a lot going on. And I'm also studying for the CFA. So all of that kind of at the same time. Do you have 24 hours in a day or are there are there more in your day? How do you balance all of that? There's very few hours to to not do one of the things that I was just mentioning. So it's tough and I've gained some weight because of it, which I'm ashamed of. But uh, <laughs> I'm trying to find a better balance come the new year. Yeah, and, and it took us a little bit of time to get you on. You know, we, we've been trying to get you on for a little, and, and you've, just, you've just been hustling, you know. Saturday afternoon, sorry, boys, I'm in the office today, I can't talk. Sunday afternoon, boys, I'm in the office, I can't talk. And we finally got you on. So you, you're doing all these ventures, and you're, work, you're working a nine-to-five. How do you find time to kind of, like, wind down? 
I think that's one of my struggles, honestly, Ari. If I were to create a list of strengths and weaknesses, I think one of the weaknesses would be winding down and kind of taking my mind off, you know, everything that I'm doing. So I'm working on it. So I don't have a good answer for you. I wish I did, but I, it's something that I actually look for a lot of the time when I'm reading autobiographies or I'm listening to podcasts of very successful people speak. Um, you know, what is their schedule like? Am I doing things that, you know, mimic what they're doing? Am I waking up when they're waking up? So a lot of that is what drives me. But yeah, I'm not great at winding down. And my girlfriend yells at me for it all the time. <laughs> so we definitely want to get into more of the nitty gritty details of, of what you're doing in a little bit. But before we do that, I want to know what fuels your mindset in order to allow you to work as hard as you do and kind of take on as many challenges as you do. Just it's, it's tough. I mean, I have a nine to five and I have difficulty finding energy outside of that to pursue other interests. This was this is honestly a challenge. So, I mean, I'm, I'm curious to know from you, like what motivates you and how you sustain everything. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great question. And there's there's layers to that. Right. So the first thing I'll say is <laughs> just a general statement. This might sound cheesy, but if you want something bad enough, you'll make time for it. That's something that I've learned over the years. Like, think about something that you guys really, really wanted, right? If you really, really wanted to go watch an IU basketball game against, I don't know, a top-ranked team, like you're gonna wake up early and you're gonna wait in line in the freezing cold, and you're gonna you're gonna go to the game, right? So that kind of applies, just broadly speaking. Like, if you really want something bad enough, you'll make time for it. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, from an early age. I'll say that I realized the people that are, quote, successful, and when I say that, I equate success with financial freedom. It's not to say that, like, money is, like, the only thing that's important to me, because it's not. But I think being financially free is something that I will strive for until I achieve. It started when I read a book back in college called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I think that really set the tone. My friends and I, everyone in my friend group read it. And then it was kind of like, all right, like, what are you going to do about it? You know, so I kind of changed my mentality there and thinking like, hey, if everyone's partying and everyone's, you know, going out and whatever, can I make improvements now and make the sacrifice now so that I'm always ahead and eventually I'll get there before everybody else. Right. So that really kind of was my North Star, if you will. And once you kind of I hate to say success, but once you get like, you taste a little bit of success, it almost becomes like your fuel to keep going. And it's not to say I'm, I'm successful and I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm successful by any means, but I have seen hard work pay off and that kind of keeps me going. Yeah. And, and one thing you mentioned earlier was time. And I think one of the first things we learn in an economics class is that time is the most scarce resource. You can't get any more of it, but everyone has the same amount of time in a day everyone has 24 hours. So you are on the same level playing field. But that goes back to what you were saying of if you really want something, you will make time for it. So if you really want to start a podcast, or you really want to start a business, you got to set aside, you know, three, four hours, you know, what, whatever it is to get to get your work done. But that also comes with sacrifice. Right. You right. feel like you feel like you've sacrificed a lot to start your own company and to, to also work this nine to five? Yeah. So that's, that's a great question, Ari, and a great segue. So part of the sustainability of being able to, to work hard and achieve is you have to sacrifice. I mean, you have to, if you don't sacrifice and you give here and there, you eventually are going to just break and you're going to lose the determination and the kind of discipline required to achieve anything. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. So let's say you're studying for a test and you're like, wow, I really need to do well on this test. And all your friends or all your buddies are going out and you're like, wow, like I really want to go out, but I really need to study on this test. Right. I mean, just kind of like opportunity costs and economics. And what you're saying is if you go out, you're not going to study and you probably won't do as well. If you stay in, you're going to study and you'll probably do better. All right. Now, now that you did better on that test, where else are you going to go from there? Right. Like you continue to put in the work, you will see the results and that you know, simple example, but you're getting an A on that test now opens up more doors. Now you're looking at, you know, other opportunities. So yes, yeah, sacrifice is absolutely huge. And I'll say that you can achieve anything in this world with sacrifice first, but sacrifice is easy once you know you really want something and then discipline and focus. I think you combine those three things and you can do anything. 
absolutely anything. Jose, so you've had a couple different business ventures. Can you walk us through what those have been and sure. kind of what lessons you've learned along the way and then kind of help us understand what you're doing now and, and what that looks like for you? Sure, Sam. So I've had my fair share of failures over the, I don't know, past five years, I guess, since graduating. I really have gravitated towards entrepreneurship just because in my nine to five, I mean, it's a nine, it's called nine to five for a reason, right? You have so much extra time, right? And so I figure, well, instead of, you know, partying and whatever, like what are other ways that I can sell myself apart and, and kind of achieve this level of financial freedom? So the first kind of big venture that I went on was I actually quit my job in, I think it was two years ago to start a social media marketing company called Social First Visuals. So I, I literally quit my job. I moved back to Miami and I started this marketing company <laughs> and I honestly didn't really know what I was doing. I, I, I was like, all right, like this is a trend. Everyone needs social media marketing. So I can probably figure this out. And it was a grind. I'll tell you, it was an absolute grind. Some key learnings from there is always have a backup plan because I don't think it's super smart to just go after something without fully thinking about like a 360, like, hey, what if it doesn't work out, right? And also, what is the probability that this does work out? And if it fails, like, what am I going to do? So that was kind of one thing. The second thing is like, be persistent, always think of the customer, yada, 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 right? So that ended up not working out, long story short. That was like my first big undertaking, like big investments. Like I had a couple clients, I was doing everything on my own. And I, I would wake up every day and say, well, what do I do now? Right. No structure. And in that, I guess one of the biggest key learnings was that for me personally, I need a little bit of structure in my life to, to thrive. So creating a schedule, waking up with an alarm, like having a set of goals that you want to achieve in the day I, as an entrepreneur, full-time entrepreneur, I think is critical. So that was kind of the first one. Then I, I decided to come back to the nine to five and then say, all right, like this venture, whatever it is that I do, isn't going to take up 24 hours. Like I can do both. So I got that stability back and that structure back with my company, with the firm we're at now. And then COVID hit. And COVID, while it is still here, presented actually, I think, a lot of opportunities. And already you were mentioning this before in that there was an increase, a significant increase in the number of users that were trading stocks on Robinhood. I think it was like a 600% increase, something crazy. So more people, and they were all mostly our age or younger, were investing stock, money in stocks. And I don't know if you guys, if you guys remember, or if you follow the market closely, but in like the March, April timeframe, the stock market really crashed. And then right after it crashed, it had kind of these like dead cat bounces higher, right? Ultimately, it ended up leveling out and going lower, but it had this spike off the bottom. And that's when a lot of these gurus, if you will, I can call them gurus and I'm using air quotes, were claiming that making money in stocks is so easy. All you got to do is buy options. You're going to make 150% and you sell. Super easy. And people were making a lot of money. And I was like, wow, this is a recipe for a disaster. People are going to lose everything. And so I think there's an opportunity here. And, and that's when I started Trend Seekers. Yeah, that was a pretty crazy march. Uh, I'm an avid trader. I'd actually call myself more of an investor. I'm not really buying and flipping. I'm buying things and holding them. But that that was really crazy. And and it was it was scary when, you know, for three straight days, the market went down a thousand points and you see your account losing thousands of dollars. But it did kind of have a V-shaped recovery. It, it did bounce back a lot quicker than a lot of people expected, at least most of the industry, not airline and travel, but a lot of these industries hit the rock bottom, and then they just spike back up. What is Trendseeker for those who aren't familiar with it? And, yeah. and how does that kind of take advantage of the increased volume of, of trading going on? Yeah. So when I saw that there were there were just an influx of traders coming in to the market or to, you know, to trading, I like I said, I saw, I saw it as an opportunity because there's going to be a lot of people who are going to want to actually learn how to do this the right way, especially after losing a lot of money. So the first thing that I noticed is that a lot of people were trading stock options. So I'm going to take a moment here and just comment on that. So for those of you who don't know, trading stock options, if you don't know how to invest or it's your first time investing, 
is a, a very, very bad idea. The way a stock option works is it's basically traded on volatility and a certain time horizon. So without getting too technical, let's say a stock like, I don't know, Tesla will move 5% in one day, which is a lot. That stock option might move 25, 45% in that same day, right? But the same happens when the stock is moving down, right? The stock goes down 5%, the option can lose a ton of value. And the way that options work is there is a, a specific date. And as the stock comes closer to that date, if the stock price isn't above, the value of the option decreases significantly and it's quick, violent almost. And it's really hard to get out. So with a stock option, you can make a ton of money, but you can lose everything, your entire investment. So that was one of the areas of kind of education for trend seekers, which is a swing trading company. Where I'm like, all right, we're going to teach people not to trade options. We're going to teach people to trade the right way, which is buy strong companies with good earnings history that are setting up to move higher, right? And so I have this kind of view on the way that one should invest if they're going to be swing trading. And I can get into that. But it's more for people who want to get into trading, do things the right way, um, and not risk so much when they're when they're you know trying to dip their feet into the pond. So that's that's really what trend seekers is a combination of education and also I give kind of my ideas on the market and some stocks that I'm really liking at the, at, the, at any moment in time. You know, I, I see a lot of guys on, on Twitter or Instagram that are just these like you know brown suit used car salesmen with like. I made $150 million trading and I want to share my secrets with you for $9.99 a month. You could get all my picks. First of all, you're not doing that from, from what I've seen. As you've put your trades out there and you've said, hey, buy Simon Property Group at 65 and, and now it's at 89 and you are giving a, you, you're giving away knowledge almost. How do you try to differentiate yourself from all these people on the internet calling themselves experts and saying that they're, that they're, that they're the ones that know everything? Yeah, that's a great point. And it kind of ties into what I was saying before, right? So one of those lessons learned, you know, Sam, Sam asked about, you know, lessons learned when starting a business. One of the biggest lessons that I learned with the failed businesses, and there are other failed businesses that I, I didn't get into, but one of the biggest lessons, and I'll keep this with me with every business that I start is value first, value first. If you can show the people that eventually will become your customers that you're giving value up front, it creates a trust between the two of us. It makes them feel comfortable moving forward. I can't tell you how many people have joined trend seekers that I have one-on-one -on -one kind of held their hand. Hey, here's how you invest. You know, here's why this stock is posed to go higher. Here's the things that you should look at all before ever subscribing. And that's okay with me. I don't necessarily do trend seekers for the money because I can tell you right now, it doesn't, it doesn't like make my year. I, I, I promise you that it's more like, this is my way of getting kind of my ideas and the way that I think into a community that also has kind of this shared idea and wanting to trade. But it's, there's something about when someone pays you for something, you have this extra incentive to go above and beyond. But if you're just doing it for free, you're not gonna take the time to really dive deep and give these people, right, like the true fair analysis of, of said company. Like Simon Property Group was my way of doing value first. And I'm so happy that people took the trade because they made a killing on it. It's at 93 now, but that's, that's the way to do it. It's value first, prove your worth, you know, actions speak louder than words. And then once our pe people start making money, they can afford to pay $35 a month when they're making thousands of dollars on your Simon property trade. And there's more, there's, there's others that I've, I've also recommended. So that's kind of how I, I think about business, you know, because at the end of the day, I mean, everyone wants to invest, everyone wants to make the quick buck, but the quick buck doesn't exist. Just as fast as you'll make 150% on your options trade, you'll be pounding your chest. And then the next day, the market is tanking and you lose 75% in a day, right? While you don't trade options. So that's what I'd say. I remember a few months back, I, I think kind of before you had started formally Trend Seekers, or at least before you had publicized that you were going going uh, in this route, you were posting screenshots of a bunch of charts that I didn't really understand, but it looked good. <laughs> and it definitely looked 
like there was some method to the madness there. Can you talk a little bit about that? And obviously you don't need to reveal the secret sauce, but I guess just creatively, like how did you get to that point? Um, and then like, what did you do to educate yourself to be able to be running these analyses and, and then feel comfortable posting them? Right. And that's a great question. So one thing that I, that I skipped over, so trend secrets is kind of a two part, um, there's two parts to it. So one is this stock alerts group where, where it's really more educational. It's really more like you can you can invest alongside of me. I'm going to give you so much analysis that you're going to feel super confident. But before that, I had read a book. It's basically the autobiography of a man named John Simmons or Jim Simmons. He's the founder and CEO of Renaissance Capital. And they are the basically the God. He's the godfather of algorithmic trading. So algo trading. So that's basically where you essentially write a formula, a code into the computer based on a number of rules. And then if said stock or said market does all of these things buy the company and then whatever. Right. So I just found that super intriguing. I'm like, wow, like that's really interesting. And so he was the first person to kind of accomplish this. And there have been you know, millions of people before him trying to do it. No one could. And now that company makes 50, 60 percent a year, every single year for the past like 50 years. I mean, it's nuts. They don't even take they don't even accept more capital. Just to put it. The janitors there are all millionaires. So I was like, all right, this is a really cool idea. How can I create something? Obviously not exactly the same, but that can kind of help people as an additional layer of confidence and probability when getting into a stock trade. So I created this, the Trendseeker 5000, which is a stock indicator for experienced you know, traders and investors to say, all right, am I buying at a time where the trend of this stock is either going up or going down? So that's really what I try to capture in the indicator. So that's kind of how that's, those were those charts, Sam. Those were the, it was, I, was, I was trying to promote the indicator, but you make a really good point. That's great feedback that, hey, people didn't know what the hell I was doing, what I was posting. Uh, so I just looked up the book you were talking about. Is it The Man Who Solved the Market? Yes. That's yes. the book. All right. So for anyone out there that's interested in learning about that, The Man Who Solved the Market. So you and me have something in common. We both got on Kramer as a call-in. Babooyah, Jimmy Chill. And um, one thing that the, the gym emphasizes is there's not really a, and Warren Buffett says the same thing. There's not really a get rich quick. It's a get rich carefully. And mm -hmm. I think the market has been the greatest wealth generator in all of human history. I think if you make the right investments at the right time and you're patient with your money, you will get a return. So for any of the viewers out there, what are, who who are either looking to invest or or have some money invested and are looking you know longer term what are some stocks that you recommend that they put some money into if they're looking for good return in the next let's call it anywhere between the next three and ten years so the first thing i'll say is that i'm not an investment advisor because i think i can get sued or something so i'm just going to go ahead and say that so this is just my personal opinion this is the opinion of jose Furman. right he's not he is not licensed to give investment advice. right thank you but thank he's you. good at what he does on right the side. thank you on the side yeah so you know everyone you know that you're that you mentioned so so kramer warren buffett you know there are others there there really is just two things that you need to look at when you're deciding to invest in a company. And I'll give some names after, but the two things that you have to look at are earnings growth and revenue growth. If you look at a company's historical revenue growth, which is basically another word for sales, and that number is growing at a fast rate, say 20% every quarter, or earnings. Earnings is basically the profit or net income that a company produces. If they're growing that at say 20% at a minimum, over a, you know, an extended period of time, at least two years. That company, if you invest in five companies that have strong earnings and revenue growth, I can almost guarantee you that over a longer period of time, you will make a ton of money because it's companies like that, those companies that are revolutionizing whatever industry or disrupting whatever industry they're in that are able to generate, because not everyone's able to generate 20% revenue growth, right? Think of revenue growth as essentially taking market share from other people in that circle. 
So as you invest in these companies, they're disruptors. They're going to continue moving towards dominating market share. So that's just something to keep in mind. And, and if anyone listening listen to this wants to reach out to me, they can. But that's what I would say. The second thing I would say is invest with the trend. So look around us. What is it that's the hottest trend? Top three trends right now in the US. Aria, I'm going to let you go. So one thing that I've been investing in and it's done pretty well so far. And Goldman Sachs has raised its price target to 110 next year. Is I've been uh, I've been going heavy on DraftKings and, and Pen Gaming. I I've been buying more DraftKings. I got Pen Gaming at 17. dollars It's over 100 now. You know, I have a bunch of friends. I I could sit in and we'll watch football together. And five of them are just nuts deep on the DraftKings app, just taking props. And I can imagine that's else that's going on elsewhere so easy to do and it's not sports gambling is not even legal yet in uh texas california florida or new york so right. that's a trend that that i that i am following but i'm curious as to what uh right what, what see. so you you, you you listed one of the three that i was going to name so online sports gambling is definitely one and you can see that with what penn has done i mean penn is a company that outside of the barstool investment is nothing special i mean it's a casino company right but the fact that they acquired i think it was 30 percent of barstool and barstool yeah. is the absolute king of content and of driving people through a platform and so online gambling, is related to gambling right and there's other there's other companies out there like skills sklz that i'm very bullish on that's another like online gambling company um, it's in the 20s right now, so it looks really good. The two other industries are electric vehicles and, you know, I'll put a, a slash there, electric vehicles, clean energy. I think with this new White House authority and, and Biden, for those of you who don't know, Biden just announced the first time ever in history, a chief scientific officer to his leadership team. So it, he's serious about it. And the companies that are kind of positioned for clean energy and, and solar and electric vehicles are going to absolutely crush it. So my kind of clean energy electric vehicle play is GM. I think you guys have seen that. I've been posting about that for a few weeks now. Yeah. You said, if you don't, if you don't buy GM unfollow me. Yeah, I did say that. And I do mean that. So, and, and look what happened. I was telling people to do that around 42, $43. It hit 52, the highest it's ever been in the history of GM. GM's an old company. Okay. But they're reinventing themselves and positioning themselves to be the leader in commercialized EV. So that's that. And then the third is pot stocks. I think that the same kind of steps that I just mentioned in terms of like the Democrats and, and especially now with COVID. I mean, I don't know if you guys are aware, but a lot of these um, major cities in the U.S. are bankrupt or going bankrupt and they don't have the capital to run. Right. I mean, every every year we have a government shutdown because there, there isn't enough funds. So I think that the legalization of pot is going to be a revenue driver for these major cities because they don't look at New York. I mean, they're losing people every single day. Tens of thousands of people are leaving New York because the taxes are so high. There's no way these cities can keep increasing taxes. So pot legalization, I think is going to be a, a, a huge boost. And you've already seen that. And, the big names. So with pot, I would go with the leading companies. Canopy Growth, I think, is is one of them kind of leading the charge. And 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 one thing, guys, I want to say is a lot of people, especially our age and younger, they get this excitement with getting rich and making a ton of money and options trading. And the same thing goes for buying really cheap companies. So companies that are penny stocks or companies that are less than like five bucks, seven dollars, ten dollars, I would stay away from because there's a reason that they're there. And cheap tends to get cheaper and more expensive tends to get more expensive. That's another key learning. Take what I've take my mistakes and please apply them because I've lost a lot of money trying to do these kinds of things. And eventually you 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 fail so many times that you end up getting the right formula to succeed, you know? So please take those words uh and apply them. One thing I wanted to say, you know, I think going into the election, amongst a lot of traders, people were a little concerned about the Democrats having control of everything. Just, you know, they thought they were going to raise corporate taxes and people thought it was going to crash the stock market. But I think the Biden administration, people have to look at is 
it's definitely going to be good for EVs and pot. And you take a company like Tesla, as you're saying, you know, I got Tesla basically when it bottomed in March at 445 and I'm, I'm never letting go. And, you know, like you said, the cheap tends to stay cheap and the expensive tends to get more expensive. And if it's not like, you know, Tesla, I want to say is at 868 right now. And, you know, you mention it to a lot of friends and you go, Hey, I think, you know, Tesla is still a buy people go, it's too expensive, but it's not going to get any cheap. Right. So you might have an off day where it moves, you know, 5% down. But a stock like that and a company like that that just started turning a profit is what your opinion say is a buy, especially with the current administration coming in. I don't know, honestly, because for me personally, I don't I'm not a Tesla bull. I think Tesla's amazing, obviously. But I think there is gonna be there are people who who are Tesla I don't know what the word is, but like Tesla crazy. I mean, they're like obsessed with Tesla. Oh, yeah, it's a cult. It's a cult. I mean, you go on Reddit, there's like a cult of like these Tesla people and they're like, Tesla can do no wrong. The problem with companies, and I'll say this from my experience of what I've seen, the companies that move almost too fast, you know, too high, too fast are the ones that are almost on thin ice, where if you miss a single number or you miss a single expectation, it can be really painful. It can be really painful. And so I think that for me, well, I think Tesla's a great company and you know, if you're into EV, it wouldn't be a bad idea to own Tesla. I do think that increased competition in EV, especially now that you know you have this Biden administration that's basically saying, hey, we need the world, sorry, we need the US to go green. We're basically electrifying everything. Every company is getting into EV, every single company. So that increased competition and kind of choice that consumers are going to have, especially, you know, Teslas aren't cheap. I think that their growth, I think, is going to stagnate a little bit. So I, I, that's that's all I would say on Tesla. It's a great company, but I think there's other opportunities out there like GM, which I would like more, which I'm in GM. So that's all I'd say. Let's circle back a little bit to kind of like how you got into Trendseeker and, and, and I guess like what kind of differentiates this. So to me, um, and this actually is going to go hand in hand with an interview that I think we're going to be doing in a, within the next couple of weeks with another friend of mine who started a business. Trendseeker didn't really require a whole lot of upfront capital on your end. Is that correct? That's exactly right. So then that sort of limited your downside risk, but like with trading, I mean, it's kind of unique to trading. Like there's just so much unlimited potential upside and mm -hmm. your ROI can be incredible. Did that kind of factor into you being able to approach this with the confidence? And I guess like with the lessons that you learned with previous ventures? That is that is such an incredible question, Sam, and the observation could not be more spot on. So another key learning that I had when starting trend seekers as it compares to other businesses is the initial outlay of capital, right? The way that trend seeker works is there are more people that want to join trading and want to join trend seekers if we perform well, but it doesn't cost me anything to acquire a, a, a new customer. I'm not I'm not paying for anything besides the the trading view which is a uh, the charting software that I use because I have the indicator on there I have to pay like 60 70 dollars a month or I forget what it what it is it's basically just my mind and taking the time to kind of like walk people through this cuz a lot of people are new and so I just kind of give them the one on one intention that they deserve and then if they're comfortable they join and I have a I have a no long term commitment policy it's month to month and after the first month if you don't if you don't think that you gained any value I refund money 100%, no questions asked, because I don't want to tie anyone into something that they don't feel comfortable with. Because I do truly believe that being able to identify opportunities in the market is a is a kind of like one of those skills that if you have it, you can always make money. Doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing. So I think it's just such a valuable skill set that uh, it almost I, we've been gaining more traction every single day. We know that there's examples of companies that you were real bullish on that that you did. That, that did really well, GM, Bank of America, Simon Property Group, and the market has done really well as a whole. But have there been instances where on trend seeking you were you were bullish on a stock and it really hasn't performed? You know, one of the things that I, that I always make sure I say up front when people are joining, and that's kind of the good thing of being small and kind of being the only employee in the company, is that I have basically face-to-face -face time with, with all the new members so I can set expectations. So Another, and I'm going to deviate a little bit. I'm going to come back. There's a, there's a book that I read 
Fooled by Randomness. There's a book that I read called Fooled by Randomness by Nassim Taleb. He's the uh, the author of The Black Swan, which is one of his most popular books. He's a, essentially a, a hedge fund manager and statistician. So he's ultra successful. And his investment strategy is essentially taking extremely, extremely low risk, extremely high reward opportunities. And here's what he says. He says that let's say there's a there's a 10% probability that I'm right and a 90% probability that I'm wrong. But the expected value, which when you multiply the probability by the payout of the upside is so much greater than the downside, you can afford to take nine losses and nine paper cuts and wait for the big move. So when I read that book, I incorporated that into what I wanted to teach at Trend Seekers. So up front, I say, listen, we're gonna have more losers than winners. That's just the fact of the market. Professional traders, people who do this for a living are only right 40% of the time, 40%, okay? For, a fa- for, for multiple, uh, multiple reasons. So I say this, when we're wrong, we only take a two and a half to three and a half percent loss because we always trade. One thing I teach is always trade with a stop loss. And I teach where to place that stop. A stop loss, for those who don't know, it's essentially an order that you put in after you're already in the stock that basically says, if the stock moves to this level or below, get me out immediately. And so you're basically saved from a potential crash or a further decline, right? You're, 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 you're preserving your capital base. So you're going to take paper cuts, just like Taleb, Taleb does, Nassim Taleb. And when we're wrong, we lose two and a half to three and a half percent. When we're right, we make 10, 15% or greater. And we ride our winners. You cut the weeds, but you water the flowers is, is another way. There's another metaphor to say, I like that. It's letting your winners ride cutting your losers quickly. So we essentially are only taking positions in stocks that are setting up in the same way that all stocks set up before they break out. So we're very disciplined in when we enter. And if we're wrong, we're wrong. It's okay. I'm happy when I'm wrong because I know we're one step closer to being right. And I'm telling you that 15% move Another one that we caught was Celsius Holdings. Check that one out, around $20. That's the, is that the one that all the Instagram models like have the, the Celsius drink and they're just like putting it on their butt and they're just like, hey, drink Celsius. And everyone's making money on Celsius. <laughs> so we, made, like- we, we traded that from 20 to 33 bucks, easy, 33% gain, all the paper cuts along the way. And it's, just, it's not to say that if a, if, a, if a trade doesn't work out on that stock, it's on to the next stock. It's the opposite. Because the stocks that have that high earnings growth and that high revenue growth are posed to move higher. It's just a matter of when. So you're taking the paper cut, taking the paper cut, taking the paper cut. Boom. You hit the move. It pays for all your losses and you're up 8% once you net out all the losses. And then you, you continue to ride that higher. So, you know, there's a, it's a lot of it's a lot what I just described. But once I explain it, it's, it's really simple. Discipline, focus sacrifice. That's it. So what I think you're getting at, and, and let me know if I'm wrong on this, is you have a very, you, you have an investing mantra. It's a structured approach. Yeah. So you, you have a tried and true method that you yourself have utilized, and you're not out here trying to make a bunch of different plays on different types of like trading maneuvers. Like You're not like short selling over here and then doing right. options and all this other stuff. You don't have multiple ideologies that are playing into this. You kind of have this right. one approach and you're writing that. I, I think that's really valuable because you're just so much better off like having one winner and then writing it kind of like what you were talking about with, with the water and the flowers. Like, you know, this is, this is a successful uh, right. way to trade. Right. And one thing that I'll say is I haven't read as many books as I'd like to read in my life, but I've read a decent amount of books around trading, investing, things to look at, et cetera. And I feel like trend seekers is almost the accumulation of all of that knowledge distilled into a into a method that has worked for me, has worked in the past, and that will continue to work into the future. So that's yeah. that's really what trend seekers is. So it's 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 a it's an established method that, you know, it's hard to it's hard to lose money in the long run and it's easy to make money in the long run if you stick with us. 
I want to take a minute and talk about your, your mindset. You're a very hardworking and intellectual person. You know, I see your Instagram stories, you know, 5.30 a.m., beat the sun club. You're, you're up early and you're pulling late nights. Where, where, do you, where do you draw motivation and where do you, you know, find the correct mindset? I think it all kind of, it's, it amplifies over time, right? So I wasn't always able to wake up at 5.30. Mentally, I wasn't there. The discipline that you build, discipline is like a muscle. If you're not able to wake up every single day and go to the gym or wake up every single day and take a cold shower, how do you expect to put in the work and become successful and become a millionaire? in a relatively short period of time. I mean, a few years, you know, five, 10 years. How? I mean, it's not possible. Average work, average results. That's all that it is. And I don't want to have an average life. So I think that kind of mantra or ideology is, is just lives with me. I mean, if I've seen what putting in 5.30 a.m., uh, I wake up at 5.30 a.m. and I study from 6 to 8.30 for the CFA. And then I work 9.30 to like 6.30, sometimes 7. And then I'll have that, I'll do like a Peloton class and then I'll eat dinner, chill with my girlfriend, and then I'll go to sleep. Now, the CFA thing is not always here. That's six months out of the year. But when I'm not doing that, I'm working out in the mornings. So it's kind of this mindset of like, I want better for myself. I want better for my girlfriend and, and our lives, our lives together. And, and in college, it's funny because in college and in my first year out of college, I would always think to myself, you know, I'm 22 years old. Everyone that I graduated with is also 22 years old, you know, you know, more or less, I'm generalizing. And what is it that 99.9% .9 of them are doing on the weekends, on Fridays? They're going out, they're partying, and they're having a good time. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you look up five, six, 10 years at the people who were doing that before, they're still paycheck to paycheck. They're still not really focused. They don't have their finances in order. And it's going to come a point in time where the majority of us are going to have families. Now, let me tell you something. Once you have a family, everything changes. You don't have the time to go out with your friends and, and party and whatever. You have to be with your family. You have to take care of them and you have to work. So I'm kind of putting in the work now setting myself up, my finances are in order, I'm, you know, whatever, progressing in my career, building the side business. So when it comes point to having a family, I'm able to enjoy these moments because I believe that at that point in time, that will be the most valuable thing in the world is that scarcity of time that you alluded to, Ari. I don't want to be slaving away at the office when my kids are growing up when, you know, and you see it. There is a, there's a difference between the people who sacrificed and grinded and set themselves up and everybody else. And I didn't want to be everybody else. I don't want to be everybody else. So, and it is, it is what it is. And I've, and I've lost a lot of friends because of this. We just have different, different mentalities and that's okay. But now my friends are all like me. I think you guys had business friends. I think Matthias was on the podcast. Matthias and I, while we were in the Kelly School of Business, we had the same mentality. It's dog eat dog, kill or be killed. We needed to get into the Kelly School of Business. We weren't in the school yet. So every single day, we'd go to the business school classes. We'd sit in the front row. And after every single class, we would go to the library because we wanted to get into the business school more than anything in the world. And we knew that if we put in the work, that we would achieve it. And then once that happened, it's like, all right, so if I work hard, I can achieve anything. And then that kind of progressed. So then, yeah. You get those victories and, you know, you work hard to get in the business school and you get in the business school and then you're like, all right, what else can I really accomplish from here? Right. So it was so from at that point, it was like, all right, I'm in the business school. It's a lot of kids in the business school and I know I'm not the smartest, so I'm not going to get the highest GPA. But how do I open the doors once the recruiters start coming into town? So then I ran for president. I'm like, all right, being president is going to set, set me apart. I ran for president did a few other things. And that, I, I can't tell you how much of the interview process we spent talking on things like that. So it's kind of like from an earlier age, I knew that I had to think a little bit ahead and try to set myself up for, for success because I didn't want to be, you know, working at a, at a company. You know, I think there's a, there's a crazy stat, like 93% of Americans can't afford a $1,000 emergency hospital bill, the average 401k balance for like 30 to 40 year olds is like 20 grand. I mean, it's like, 
this is that's crazy. Like to me, that's nuts. Yeah, and, and something I I wanted to talk about it, and something you kind of mentioned is you know saving at a young age and setting yourself up for for longer term. And the, you know one of the greatest wealth generators ever is the market and compounding interest. And the more you save now, and the more you invest in your future now, the more you'll have later. And when you get that family, when you buy that house, you're not going to have as much money left over to invest in your retirement. And that's why making sacrifices like now, like Maybe I won't go out Friday night and spend $100 at the bar. Maybe I'll take that $100 and put it into a, a Roth IRA or a 401k, or I'll buy shares of Simon Property Group and hold it for 10 years. And you got to set yourself up for the future. And, th- and th- these are important things you got to start looking at now, because when you have that child, when you buy that house, and when it's time to send your, your child to college, you are, you are not going to have as much money left over to save for retirement. Yeah. And one thing that I'll say is just if you think about how much freedom you have in your life, I mean, this is just the reality of the situation. When you graduate from college, when you're in college, ultimate freedom, you can do whatever you want. You don't have to go to class. I mean, you should go to class. You don't have to go to class. You can go out to party. You have ultimate freedom. When you graduate, hopefully you have a job. Now you don't have ultimate freedom. You still have responsibilities. You have to go to the, you have to go to the office. Right. What happens when you get a serious girlfriend or boyfriend? You know, they're going to want your time, too. And then the kid comes. And then so people need to realize now and hopefully you already started doing this, that you need to sacrifice now. You need to put in the work now because there will be a point where you're going to be kicking yourself for not starting sooner. Let me just make a just a quick monetary example. If you have ten thousand dollars in an investment account and we own the same stocks. And you're and the portfolio earns 10%, you make a thousand dollars a year. In a year, a thousand dollars, not much. If I had a hundred thousand dollars in the same portfolio, I make ten thousand. If I had a million dollars in that account, I would make a hundred thousand dollars a year. That's passive income. So it's so important to grow that base, that nest egg now, because I'm telling you, when you're 35, when you're 30, whatever, 30, 35, when you get you know how expensive a wedding is? You know how expensive kids are? So build it up now. Build it up now. And if anyone's in any questions, please reach out to me. This is not a promotion for trend seekers at all, but I'm very you, passionate you, about it. Feel free to promote. We brought you on here. I, I, I don't even I don't even want to promote because I only want people to, 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 to join if they're interested in trading. But I will take time out of my day to talk about personal finance with anybody. And I do portfolio reviews and we go through kind of budgeting and I have this whole system that I go through to kind of help people. That's that's something that I typically charge for. But just like personal finance basics, like what should I be doing? What should I be thinking about? Please send me a DM and, I'll, and I'm really happy to just talk about it. Yeah, it's obviously you have all this energy around it. I definitely have learned a lot kind of thinking through the stuff that you've been talking through just in the last hour. So yeah, appreciate you uh, making that offer to the folks. Something I had a question on is around the CFA. So I know that's something that is a difficult certification to attain. What was the driving factor behind you wanting to set out to achieve that? Yeah, so the CFA, for those of you who don't know, if you think about the CPA, which is kind of like the the exam that accountants have to go through before they become certified. The CFA is the finance version of that, if you will. And it's not necessarily required to, to work, but it's a, a distinction or a certificate that you get and essentially establishes you as an expert on financial valuation, portfolio management, et cetera. Nothing to do with what I do in my nine to five. But the reason that I'm getting it, Sam, is because in the industry that I work in now, we advise the board of directors. Our clients are the board of directors. And so, you know, I have, I'm very young. I have a very young face. And so I, I felt as though getting my CFA would help me get into that door more easily, you know, resumes open doors. So it was kind of that that thought process. Yeah, it's hard as hell. It takes There's three exams and it takes six months of studying per exam. But once you get it, the doors that open up are are tremendous. And again, that goes back to what you're saying. It's it's sacrifice. Most people are going to go, you know, I don't want to miss this weekend of going to a bar and watching football with my friends when you could be studying for the CFA. And once you have that and you put in that sacrifice, it sets you up for the future. Right. They can come watch the game five years from now at your mansion. 
and that's and that's the that's what separates you from the pack, and that's what separates leaders and great business people from the pack is is they think like that. They're like, I'm not thinking about now. I'm thinking five moves ahead, which is also a really good book. Your next five moves, Patrick Bet David just started reading it. If someone's interested in thinking of uh in in the business sense and thinking about the moves you're gonna have to make to be successful, I, I highly recommend that book. Yeah. One thing that I'll say is if you don't know where to start, just create a budget, create a budget, see where you're spending your money each month, see how much you have left over each month. And if you don't have anything left over and you're probably overspending. So see what you have, see where you're spending each month, see what you have left over and create a trading account, an investment account, automatic withdrawals. You doing that will set you ahead of 75% of the people your age. It's a very simple thing that you can do. When you say automatic withdrawals, do you mean just or like? So you can. So let's. So I have TD Ameritrade, or you can do it on any invest. You can do it on. I don't know if Robinhood does it, but you can do it on Schwab or whatever. Through there, you set up automatically for your bank to withdraw money and deposit it into your investment uh, uh, account gotcha, on gotcha. a recurring uh, monthly basis. Automatic deposits. Okay. Sorry, automatic deposits. Yeah. Withdrawal, deposit, whatever. And then, and then it's from your bank. And then obviously never sell, just hold the stock forever because stocks only go up. We have different investment strategies, Ari, but yes, <laughs> your strategy. Yes, I would, I would take his strategy over mine, but I don't. I have, sell. I have, a, I have another offering that I'm that I've been. I don't know if you guys have been following, but aside from like trend seekers on my link in my bio, Jose Furman, for since like August or July, I was offering like free monthly stock alerts. Like if you want to buy like really those high growth companies that I was mentioning before, high earnings growth, high revenue growth, it was a free service where I was sending monthly, you know, two or three recommendations. And from Jan July, when I started until December, I think we outperformed the market like 27% on average to eight of the market. So we crushed. And so I was like thinking, huh, how much should I charge? So beginning January, it's it's ten dollars a month, and it's you know I'm super excited about it because it's something for long-term investors, not nothing to do with trading. It's just buy and hold for three to five years. Companies like Appian, Corsair, Palantir, like these companies that have absolutely taken off. I'm I'm happy to say that I recommended them months ago. So yeah, and and I I can attest I I didn't personally. Uh, do the new newsletter, but I know someone who did, and they said that all your picks crushed it. So if anyone's interested in, you know, following some stocks, it's Jose Furman, and the link is in your bio, correct? That's right. Well, Jose, you've been an amazing guest. You fill us with a lot of financial wisdom today, and it gave us a lot to think about about our futures, about our investments. So thank you so much for joining the Legends Podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for, for thinking of me and happy to join on in, uh, in a few years. We'll see where we're all at. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on, Jose. It was good catching up. Take care, guys. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye.